Hey everyone, it is September 12th, 2023. It's uh it's another episode of uh Breakpoint Podcast or the Breakpoint Show. I always get confused when uh when I'm saying saying that. But we are a show and we are a podcast and we are on YouTube video, so go out, like us, tell us tell your friends about us. Um I know we don't really have faces for uh, YouTube, uh, but no, we're on there. We'll we'll do the best we can. So, what are we going to talk to talk about today? So, I want to welcome Martin and Khalid. I want to do all the hey talking. Hello, hey, hello, hey guys. And uh, <laughs> we missed uh, a episode last week because Martin and myself had crud uh i don't know if it was covid but it felt like covid uh my wife and i both got it and we were in the not feeling very good all week so we didn't do an episode but we're back and we're going to talk about the missing parts of dot net so i'm gonna i'm just gonna open it up i have uh whoever wants to start yeah, with the yeah, I, yeah I guess I'll, I'll, I'll clarify, Chris, you know, like we talked about this particular topic and uh, the missing parts of .NET. I think the thing I was really thinking when bringing this topic up is like, have you ever been in a situation where you reached for something or were trying to accomplish a business task in .NET? and just found it either way too difficult or almost impossible to do. Um, you know, so that includes things like language features, potentially missing libraries, uh, you know, uh, all the kind of stuff that you would want from your tool stack and your technology stack. So uh, what have you ever wanted uh, and before we started, I asked Martin, like, hey, wh what do you what do you have? Do you have any opinions, Martin? And Martin was like, I have opinions. So I'm going to throw it to Martin because <laughs> I really want to hear what he has to say. Um, I have opinions, but I was going to keep them for the moment where I think you will say something and then uh, I can I can hook into that. Uh, <laughs> but generally, I think the, there's a nuance that we should be aware of for this episode, I think, and that is what is missing in .NET is not necessarily what is missing from the .NET framework, right? Mm -hmm. It could be libraries that are missing in terms of open source. It could be things that you're missing from NuGet, et cetera, because um, it wouldn't be fair to expect everything coming out of the framework, out of the box, um, everything in terms of language features, every obscure integration with certain software and everything. Um, it is something that that the entire community has to be aware of, right? Mm -hmm. yep, yeah, that's correct. Yep. Well, so. and it it also can mean things that are confusing. So I I think of missing the missing parts as there may be things out there, but they're a little complex. So I'll just throw it out. I still have a hard time wrapping my head and understanding roslin analyzers mm -hmm. and some people may go oh what are you an old guy like they're <laughs> the easiest nicest things in the world but to be honest i think they're they're a little complex and and maybe for just a 
I'm not the smartest developer. I like being in rooms with you guys who are smarter developers so I can learn. Oh, thank so, you, Chris. <laughs> you're welcome. You're welcome. Uh, but, I mean, Roslyn analyzers are, for me, they are uh, sort of black magic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's... There, are, there are things that we just don't have a lot of further clarification or understanding yeah, it's funny you bring up Roslyn too, because you know it is difficult because you're really dealing with like abstract syntax trees, which is really about the code construct. Whereas if you look at reflection, which is really popular in .NET, it's really dealing with like instances and objects. So on the Roslyn side, you're really dealing with like the beams and the the infrastructure of code and dealing with code as itself. Whereas like once you're in reflection, you're dealing with object instances. So it's like, it is a different paradigm and it, it can be confusing, especially when our muscle memory is so trained on reflection. Uh, so yeah, I agree with you. I, I, I think Roslyn probably needs that additional level just to make things a little easier for folks who just wanna do maybe small, simple tasks with Roslyn. So um, yeah, 100% agree. Uh, Martin, do yeah. you have anything to add? Uh, no, um, actually, Roslyn, you don't really have to care too much if you are not writing your own analyzers or source generators or whatever. Um, I will say that the good news is that there's lots of examples out there and they might not get you to 100% of what you are trying to accomplish. But typically, you will find examples and samples that bring you very close to that line um, where it essentially takes a couple of tries to to bring you to the finish line. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The there, there is a caveat, though, I think, too, to echo what Chris's, like, feelings are. Like, Roslyn, it's potentially easy to find those samples and to write them. But uh, since you're dealing with, like, potentially, like, memory or resource-intensive tasks, like scanning through an entire syntax tree of an application, you can introduce memory leaks and stuff like that pretty easily. Uh, so that's why there's, like, the the difference between like a full Roslyn analyzer slash source generator versus like incremental ones, right? So um yeah, I, I again I a hundred percent agree with Chris in terms of like maybe there's like an additional abstraction that needs to be added to just make that a little nicer for yeah. folks. So. Yeah. So you're miss missing the abstraction. Yep. Yeah. More more patterns. <laughs> so so what uh I'm always curious because like one thing that, that I, over the last couple of years that I was trying to find and I still haven't found it was like, for me, I love JSON and it, I can see it, but it's nice to, to have it formatted. Like I have a uh, Chrome extension that will, if it brings back, json it'll like format it nicely so i can kind of understand it a little bit better when it's coming back from uh, api mm -hmm. but uh that's one thing that i would like to have in now it's not part of the net the framework of net but in the in all of the ids i just would like to have a little better uh editing and a little better working with JSON. So, so that for me, that's one thing. And there are some extensions for 
visual studio and, and writer and um, that do a, a decent job, but I still haven't found one that, that meets all my needs. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I mean, uh, visualizers are definitely something that um, can make the development tasks a lot easier. So JSON is probably the thing yeah. most developers deal with. Uh, dare I say YAML is something a lot of developers deal with. Here, um, here's an interesting yeah. fact, by the way. Uh, JSON is valid YAML. Yeah, yeah, I did know this that. This is going to blow everyone's mind, but it is valid YAML. <laughs> so, yeah, but it's funny because, you know, Martin and I, full disclosure, work at JetBrains. And uh, something that Ryder does is work with Unity projects, like Unity Games projects. So people who are building video games, you know, are dealing with 3D assets and dealing with texture models and things like that. <clears throat> so like, I think I agree with you, Chris, like better visualizations in your tooling and in your IDEs for maybe uh, like formats that are off the beaten path, like 3D models. I think, yeah, that would be awesome as part of our ecosystem. So, uh, it is a little bit more difficult to implement, like 3D rendering, obviously, but uh, that would be super cool too. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and we kind of came up with a list and and stuff like that. Uh, and I I would love to pick your brain, bleed on this cross-platform hardware interoperability. So okay. explain your idea around that because I'm I'm curious what the need is there. Yeah, so uh, just to tell people an anecdote, uh, I was I was judging a computer fair, right? And uh, this 14-year-old girl came in and she had used PyCharm and Python and she was using computer vision. Uh, it was a really, really impressive project. Uh, she was able to load a trained model that could see fingers uh, and determine how many fingers you were holding up. So it was starting up a webcam. It was uh, capturing an image. It was loading a ML model. Um, and it was also creating this cross-platform UI that could work both on Mac, Windows, Linux. So using the Python ecosystem, she was able to build this really amazing experience for a computer fair project, right? So um, I thought, you know, this is really cool. I wonder what it would take to build this in .NET. So I went to go look for things that would allow me to do the things that I just listed, uh, load an ML model, access a webcam, uh, take an image, build a UI cross-platform. And to be honest, it was very, very difficult to do in .NET. Uh, it was borderline impossible without spending maybe weeks or months trying to kind of cobble together what exists in our ecosystem right now. Um, really, the only way to access, say, like macOS's webcam is through something like Maui right now. Or you would have to write your own pinvoke layer to access like system-specific um, stuff on macOS. Uh, also loading ML models, there's the Onyx runtime uh, specification, which lets you do that. Um, but it was really difficult to load uh, TensorFlow stuff without finding 
the right TensorFlow package on NuGet. So I just found the whole experience kind of like eye-opening, uh, comparing my .NET experience to what this individual had done with Python and really seeing the strength of the Python ecosystem, being able to let essentially amateurs do some amazing things, whereas me, uh, a professional, I'm doing air quotes right now for people on the podcast, <laughs> uh, just struggle to build the same experience with the technology stack that I use. So um, for me right now, if you look at .NET, there really isn't APIs for things like consistently accessing a webcam or camera system, uh, whether you're on Windows, Mac OS, or Linux. Also, that applies to things like the microphone uh, or uh, playing audio through, say, like uh, audio output. So those are things that I think are still kind of a struggle for .NET. Uh, understandably, since .NET came, like the .NET we know today started as cloud native, no one's accessing a microphone in the cloud. Uh, I don't think so anyways. Maybe the CIA is, but <laughs> but that 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 was my thinking behind that bullet point. It's like, wow, I would love a more consistent experience for hardware access on .NET, which doesn't currently exist. Mm. But yeah, at, at that point, because um, I know in Python, it's all going to be open source and you'll be available or you'll be able to find all of those libraries anywhere you want to look for them. Mm -hmm. um, but at that point, did you have a look at what component vendors and everything had to offer? Because traditionally, .NET has been very much of, um, an ecosystem where small companies would post small components to do certain small tasks like accessing the microphone, like accessing the webcam mm -hmm. and so on. So did you find any of those out there? Uh, I did try to find a webcam uh, vendor. From my memory, uh, they had a few samples, but again, it wasn't, the API didn't feel consistent. So it's like, if you're on Windows, you need to do these steps. And if you're on Mac OS, you need these additional steps. And then Linux is like a totally different thing. So there are vendors, but from what I recollect, the polish was just not there, right? So one of the nice things about .NET in general is most libraries have a certain level of polish that it feels decent to use. I think when it comes to like hardware vendors, uh, like hardware component vendors, the people that sell these libraries, um, maybe they're not .NET people to begin with. So a lot of their libraries don't come off as like idiomatic C sharp or even like idiomatic.net so yeah or they're just they come from windows mm -hmm. and it's they're not don't have a clear understanding of the other operating systems yeah so dot net yep. has traditionally been very window centric and it's only been the last eight years mm -hmm. eight nine years that it's, it's really been cross-platform so it's some vendor companies, component vendor companies might not, uh, maybe they just don't see the value also in building tool sets that, that are cross-platform because they don't want to invest the money in that. So, I mean, there's probably different reasons mm -hmm. for 
having that uh, that deficiency in some of our toolkits. Yeah, but just to clarify, I know someone's going to leave this in the comments. Uh, you can do this stuff kind of with Maui, uh, but again, you're using like compiler, like if defs and stuff like that to kind of like this code to access the like the camera is Windows specific. This is macOS specific. Uh, additionally, in Maui, uh, the way Maui applications build for Mac um, is using like Mac Catalyst. So it's using kind of like the iOS APIs. So it's a little weird. So if you wanted to build a console application that captured a picture because you ran a command from the command line, uh, that's a little bit more difficult to do. So, um, but yeah, that's that's my thought there. Uh, try it. If somebody out there knows anything, please let me know. It's it's my white whale. I've been chasing it now for years. But I, I will say it's it's interesting to see that those things are missing in the in the general ecosystem. So no nuggets, no component vendors, no whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so two weeks ago, I was looking into being able to read the data from my solar installation at home. So I wanted to see what the current power that was being generated was, uh, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So I was going through the documentation of the of the vendor of that device, and I found <clears throat> that it was possible to use Modbus to read that data. So essentially, that means that you would be able to hook up a serial connection and then read memory registers containing the data that you want. Now, luckily, that thing is network connected as well, and you could use that Modbus protocol over TCP. And funnily enough, I found three or four libraries in .NETs that were able to do that and help me with that, and even use the correct type information. So those Modbus registers, they use unsigned integers, signed integers, and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And uh, the library even supported all of that and was able to give me the correct data. So it's funny that those really niche libraries seem to exist, but then something for accessing the webcam cross-platform apparently does not seem to exist. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Again, I, I don't know if it's just like uh, an operating system operating system thing because obviously Mac OS operates completely differently than Windows, so there might be security gates that make it difficult to just have a method that says "Go find me all the capture devices on this machine." That said, I'm the end user, so I want it as easy as possible. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well. So let's go back to another thing that you said, Khalid, yep. was ML. I mean, we're in this age of AI is is hyped to the moon right now. Mm -hmm. And I haven't looked at how well .NET works with ML. Mm -hmm. I know we have ML.net and we have we have uh some some libraries around that but how how easy is it really to work in dot net in this new in this new ai landscape yeah it's interesting because i've written a couple articles about ml.net it really depends what you're trying to do uh there's this format called onyx uh o-n-n-x which is kind of like a specification that 
lets you uh, create an ML model so you can like ship it places or consume it. It's like a standard format for ML. And that's really nice. Um, so ML.net really falls into two parts. There's like the training part. Uh, if you ever use the ML.net stuff, you could tell that it's really designed not for developers, but designed for data scientists. Like it is, it is not an idiomatic API for C-sharp devs. It's, it gets kind of weird. Uh, you have this context and it has all these methods and transformers and stuff on it. It's like this, this God object is what you're dealing with at all times. It's, it's really interesting uh, from like a C-sharp design perspective. Uh, so yeah, if you wanted to train your model on ML.net, it's all there. And I, I figure a data scientist would understand how to use these things. But even the samples provided in Microsoft's documentations, you can tell really quickly it's very procedural. It's not designed in a way that like, say like a C-sharp developer or architect would write this kind of program. So that's, that's a little weird um, if you're not a data scientist. The consumption side is a little easier, um, especially with the Onyx format and being able to provide that stuff. Um, but uh, the thing that I think is missing the most when you're talking about machine learning is really a library of Onyx like models that people could pull into their application. So think like NuGet, but instead of pulling down like code packages, you could go pull down a model to do things like computer vision, line completion. Like those are things that would be pretty awesome to do. Chatbot, chatbot yeah. language. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. Hmm. The 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 one thing right now I can hear the rebuttals already in the comments, but um, some of these models can be very big. You're talking potentially like a gigabyte or something like that. Uh, if anyone's played with like uh, Meta's Llama or uh, some of these other models, like open source models, you can see that it requires a lot of resources like GPU and stuff like that. Um, so that might be the one drawback of providing a service like that and maybe why cloud providers are offering like web endpoints for this kind of stuff. But for me, again, personally, I'd, I'd love to see like a, a model marketplace that's a little easier to consume for application developers uh, rather than just a marketplace for data scientists, like say Hugging Face or something like that. So yeah, yeah. Um, that's cool. my hope. I, well, maybe we just gave someone an idea for a new a new business. Yeah. So, hey, send royalty checks to Breakpoint Show, please. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. We get a cut. We get a cut <laughs> if you if you start a ML an ML uh, marketplace for for .NET. You uh, you know who to uh, to grease the palm. Yeah. So. so. <laughs> Martin's uh, already done coding it. Look at him. I see him typing over there. Yeah, yeah. No, no. I, I was actually doing a, a quick, a quick search, and I did find there's some Onyx models that you can reuse for computer mm -hmm. vision and everything. They're not the biggest one, it seems at first glance, but there's there's a couple of things that you can actually find and reuse. Yeah. Cool. 
we'll put those in the show and we'll put those in the show notes for for people mm-hmm. but uh, i mean so so let's let's take a look at if we were to take a look at the actual framework of .NET 7 and now coming up in November .NET 8, what do people feel is missing in, in there that, that they would like uh, the Microsoft team to, to look at and bring out? All right. I can feel Martin, Martin itching out of his skin. He's got opinions. Come on, Martin. I don't have opinions. What? Um, no, I, I would love to see whatever the community come up, comes up with. So um, this is essentially the thought that I had when we started the show. Microsoft can do a lot of things, and they're doing a lot of interesting things in .NET and that chip as part of .NET out of the box. Mm-hmm. But I would love to see the variety and diversity of ideas that other people have in the community. Hmm. Yeah. Like... We had on the list. We had Razor Engine extensibility at compile time. Yeah, uh, I can I can explain. Yeah. I'll explain that one a little bit. So yeah. uh, Razor Engine has historically just kind of been really tied to ASP.NET Core, um, which understandably it's a web templating <laughs> tool, right? Uh, it could be used for more than that. People use it for email templates and stuff like that, but um, static is a static site generator that uses Razor as one of the templating languages. Um, so, but it's been kind of difficult to work with. Uh, a trend that I'm seeing in the front end communities is a lot of these frameworks like Vue, React, even Angular are starting to consider server side rendering for a lot of their components, like an an initial render so that when the page loads, you don't get that flash of content, like a blank page, and then all the components come into existence. The issue with that is there's really no extension points to use something like Razor where you could build your whole HTML page with Razor. Then after Razor has turned that into HTML, to have a second pass to go through and find all your React components, your Angular components, uh, Vue components, and then maybe add an additional layer of HTML to server-side render those components. So right now, you have this adversarial situation between ASP.NET Core, Razor, um, and these front-end frameworks. And my biggest fear is like, these front-end frameworks just have way more momentum and community than, say, Razor. So ultimately, most teams will probably end up just building their UI completely in Angular, completely in Vue, completely in React, and kind of lose the benefits of what Razor brings into the to the market. So if Razor had more extensibility to support things like that, I, I you could see those two sides of the coin living in harmony yeah that's a weird analogy by the way but that's so a really weird. weird analogy <laughs> yeah is that something that the community can do or is that something that really would have to be done in redmond I, i'm just curious be. i mean or is it both it could it would it need to be kind of the basic the the foundation needs to be kind of expanded 
mm-hmm. in the actual framework of, of .NET and then allowing the community to, uh, to take and build on that foundation. That's that, that would be the way I would assume like uh, the folks working on Razor would need to build these extensibility points like after the HTML has been uh, compiled, right? To, to give you the HTML artifacts and then each respective community, React, Vue, Angular, uh, you know, they could build those bridges back into ASP.NET to provide that functionality for .NET teams uh, mm. using those tools. So it is, a, it, it is a combined effort like you described. Mm. Yeah. Well, we'll have to uh, reach out to uh, certain people at Microsoft. <laughs> So, but no, I mean that it would be an interesting idea to, to pass along to, I'll say David Fowler or Damian Edwards. Uh, uh, so those guys, I, I really admire those guys and, and they're always looking at new, wanting new ideas from the community. So maybe they'll be watching this. I don't know if they'll watch this podcast or not, but if they do, or if someone tells them about it, it I think that would be interesting. Now, my my only reservation would be: is the the hipster JavaScript front end community really interested in tying back into .NET? That would be my only thing, or or but I, I think it's a good it's a good idea. We just Chris, need to see where it goes. I'm I'm gonna blow your mind, right? The the hipster community that you're thinking about, Angular is probably no, Angular is older than .NET core. True. Uh, React is probably almost. what ten years. Uh mm, Vue maybe old. five years. Yeah. React may be older than than ten years now, but yeah, yeah, maybe React and actually Angular. looking at version numbers, they're way ahead. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They're they're not so hipster, Chris. They're uh, they have hip yeah, problems and back problems like all us old. I know that's the old guy. That's the, <laughs> the all the the old guy in me. Uh, so yeah, uh, yeah. I I mean I. I guess we could kind of go over, uh, you know, the the obvious two things that are missing in the language for me that everyone's kind of been screaming about maybe for the last five years. Uh, discriminated unions uh, is a big one. Uh, like, so for folks that don't know what discriminated unions are, Martin, do you want to take a crack at it or should I just keep talking? No, go for it. But I, I will add something after you finish. Oh, all right. All right. Uh, discriminated unions is just being able to create like uh, a collection of similar types that go together. So think like um, status results, right? Um, you might typically now in .NET, you might want to create an enum, but those enum values don't have a lot of like stuff in them. They're just they're just values, right? Uh, typically integer values or bit values. And that's not really that useful. Uh, it'd be nice to be able to create a union of status result types 
that have their own logic, think like action results in ASP.NET Core, you could make all the action results part of a discriminated union, and then you could do things like pattern matching and logic around those those kind of things. So um, F Sharp has it. So before the F Sharp people <laughs> chime in, uh, F Sharp has it, and uh, I probably should just be using F Sharp. But yeah. also yeah. ASP.NET uh, minimal APIs have it. Um, so oh. there's a really, really clever trick in the framework there where um, the, the the framework authors are essentially using various operator overloads and everything to make something that resembles a discriminated union. So if you're interested in using that, if you're using minimal APIs and the typed results that are in there, you're probably already using something similar. Mm. Mm. So it's a really right. cool approach, and I think you can probably pull it out and... Uh, Use it in your own projects if you need it. Huh. Yeah, I have to see but that. It could be a, a C sharp edition, so need to talk to Mads about that one. So <laughs> another thing that people have been screaming about, or maybe just the voices in my head have been screaming about, uh, extension everything. So we have yes. extension methods right now, but I would love to add extension properties. Um, because there's a lot of times like you want to put, is this thing happening within the state of this object? Um, so being able to add extension methods, extension properties, I think that would be super cool. So I think that's kind of missing for me. Um, do you have any thoughts folks on that one? I, I said, yes, extension properties. Yeah. I would love to see those. Okay. So it's not just the voices in my head. That's good. I don't know. <laughs> for, for me, the use case is really when, you, uh, when you're passing along an object between a couple of methods. And for part of that route of passing along the objects, you need some additional metadata. Typically, what you would have to do is come up with a new type, maybe wrap the old type and, and like all kinds of complex scenarios mm -hmm. where what you really want to have is to be able to add something like a property bag or something to the object and pass it along. And extension properties would definitely be very interesting there. Uh, I also think if you look at the Kotlin language, for example, which has extension properties, there's actually a really nice addition there where the extension property can reference things in the actual objects. So you could do extension properties that would be like a person.name property, for example, but the name can be delegated to reading from JSON that is embedded in the object. So even if you want to pass along essentially just raw JSON with an extension property that gives you just one of those values, uh, that's that's super useful to work with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that could go back to another thing. Khalid coming up with lots of great ideas is uh, I would love to see a lot more static site generator ideas coming out of uh, uh, .NET mm -hmm. because there's so many... There's so many things that that people build websites that could just be simple static sites. I mean, I know GitHub does it, and they use Jackal, and they have their they have a whole uh, mechanism over there. But uh, but like most sites that that I build, oh, we lost Khalid's uh, uh, image for the people on the podcast listening to this. We lost his camera, but uh, he's back. He's back. But I think I think allowing people to just build static websites 
easily using JSON and using a lot of kind of uh, data would be would be interesting. Yeah, agree there. I do think we have lost Kalitza. No, no, I'm I'm here. <laughs> okay, there he is. Yeah, my camera just overheats after a while. So people on the podcast don't care about that, though. Seriously. No. <laughs> but uh, no, I, static site generation feels like an easy addition. Maybe it's easy for me to say that sitting on the outside, but you know, having a compile time thing that you could say render this page at build time and just create an HTML file in the www root folder uh, feels like it should be there, like out of the box. Um, it, would, it would definitely give more people who maybe just want to dabble with .NET and use .NET, but don't necessarily care to like delve into all the different paradigms like Blazor, Razor Pages, or whatever. Um, it would definitely give them like just a nicer like pathway into ASP.NET. So, yeah, um, hoping I'm hoping for hoping, that one. I'm hoping. Point. So <laughs> you know, so we probably reached a point. We we try to keep the podcast of, around thirty minutes, twenty to thirty. We're we're up way past that because we're just geeking out on our ideas and, and this is essentially a podcast of uh, of feature requests right yeah yeah <laughs> so we're gonna we're gonna pass probably when this comes out tomorrow i'll get it out tomorrow uh september 13th uh we will pass this along i'm sure we'll we'll all reference and and hit uh people up on twitter over at microsoft and go hey listen to this or hopefully People will do it uh, that listen to this. Maybe they'll they'll pass along if they hear some interesting stuff that they would like. Open source developers or, you know what, this Onyx, this ML marketplace, I think that that would be the coolest idea. So you could just kind of download uh, certain things. I remember, you guys remember the Azure marketplace where you could, people would upload like APIs and, mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Like, I love that because I would access uh, Stat. Stat Inc. is a, a sports data. They do a lot of statistics for sports. And they had a free tier where you could just pull out real-time uh, sports information. And it was very cool to... Uh, to play around with and and i think we as dotnet developers need that in this ai machine learning age we need an easy way to just pull in that that information that knowledge into our applications and and get more business value mm -hmm. so so i wish and i hope that happens at some point but uh yeah mm -hmm. but Anyone have any closing thoughts? No, I mean, I think this was a good conversation. Uh, I wanted more hot takes from Martin, to be honest. I thought he'd have more hot takes, but... Well, maybe next time. <laughs> I have more feature requests, but the hot takes, no, no. Yeah, <laughs> well, well, 
next the next topic we'll make sure uh martin has lots of uh hot takes it'll be yeah. it'll be the the martin hot take uh episode so yeah. uh but i just want to thank everyone for for joining us uh listening to us you may agree with us you may not uh put comments in to wherever you listen to this or watch this we're always trying to have new ideas. If you want us to talk about certain things, um, just let us know. Reach out to us on Mastodon or Twitter or Blue Sky or who knows where. It's it's confusing, all the social media stuff. It used to just be Twitter uh, a year ago. But, uh, but yeah, thank you. And I appreciate Martin and Khalid. It's always great having half an hour, 45 minutes to, to geek out with you guys on a weekly basis. And we'll see everyone next week and we will have an episode next week. Maybe we should just get back and I don't know We'll we'll see. We'll see if we do one next week or if we do the, if we wait two weeks, but uh, go out to breakpoint.show is our website. Uh, you can also find us on YouTube and, and watch this. Uh, and we are also, uh, a friend of mine, Phil McKinney, is is uh, cross-posting our podcast episodes, the videos, over on the Innovators Network. So uh, I'll put a link to that in the show note also. So just say thanks to Phil for, for pushing this out to his audience so we really appreciate everything yeah very much so thanks everybody okay Uh, see you next time (laughs) bye (laughs)